folks. Welcome to the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Flicker, and it's October, and I think a lot of you know what that means. We have a very special hospitality series for you. Here at Jackson Lucas, we represent many of the top hospitality companies, but more importantly, anyone who knows me knows that I have a very special place in my heart for hospitality and all of my hospitality clients. So please remember to subscribe and share with your network and enjoy the series. Hello, Patrick. Today's guest is Patrick Bowles. He's the Chief Operating Officer of Global Operations at Ambridge Hospitality and has had a very robust career thus far. And we're excited to get to know you a little bit, Patrick. How are you doing? I look forward to it. I look forward to it. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, this is the time of year that the days are getting shorter and I hate that. So the, I, I don't, especially daylight savings time coming up in November, it's the worst time, especially if you live in the New York area, all of a sudden it's dark at four o'clock. It is the worst. I will tell you yesterday, I left my house in the pitch black and I came home in the pitch black oh. and it's, I hate that. Yep. At, yep. Least, at least I have a window with some sunshine in my office, but it's, it's kind yep. of depressing. So, yep. so, and your, your office is in Dallas. The headquarters is in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would think would be a little bit sunnier and better. So I guess that's good. It definitely is, but I still live in Darien. So, you know, I fly to Dallas you know, almost every week for a few days. So. Got it. So Patrick, tell me a little bit, I guess the, the first job you had, I think was with Starwood Hotels and Resorts. Is that right? Well, my first job out of college was with Marriott. You know, I joined oh, okay. Marriott as a trainee way back in the day. I, I got a position with Marriott as a, as an assistant director of finance uh, in Chicago in the suburbs of Chicago at the Schaumburg Marriott. So that was a while ago. And Interesting. I think, and did you know you wanted to be in hospitality or was it not, just that you? Not at all. I graduated with a degree in accounting. I took and passed the CPA exam or the test. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get hired in, in accounting. I don't know why, to be honest with you. And my brother was working for Marriott at the time. And he was able to get me an interview with Paige Corbel, who was the director of finance at the Marriott Minneapolis City Center. I happened to be living with my uncle up there looking for a job. And I just stumbled into the hotel industry, and that was 30 years ago. Isn't it amazing how just luck would have it? You went in, and now here you are in the same industry 30 years later. Well, I'm thankful for it because over the years, I've certainly been audited any number of times by outside auditors. And that's a job that I don't think I would have been successful at or would have enjoyed at all. That feels like, so I started my career also as a CPA. And I, I remember working at KPMG and sitting, I was in tax and sitting with those auditors. Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty brutal job. Nobody wants to see you. They stick you like in the basement in the dark. It's <laughs> all true. That's all true. <laughs> Try and get you out of there. So so tell me a little bit about what it's like to work in the hospitality field. I mean, are there any perks that you get? Well, there's a lot of perks because, you know, you things I like about my job is I've been able to travel the world. I've been able to eat at some of the finest restaurants in the world. I've been able to stay at some of the finest hotels in the world. And my family has benefited from that. And the other aspect of the hotel industry, it's an industry that everyone can talk about. 
So any of our neighbors, anyone I meet has a hotel they've stayed in, it has an experience, they understand hotels versus if you are a surgeon or if you are in real estate and you happen to own, you know, warehousing or whatever, right? It's just, it's a, it's a subject, food and beverage and hotels is something everyone experiences in their life and they certainly have opinions on it. Absolutely. So what was the best, the best vacation you've ever been on? Well, it's back when I was finally able to do two week vacations with my family and I was able to work from wherever I was. And this is probably 10 years ago. I think some of my vacations, it's not really necessarily the location. I've been to Cape Cod for two weeks. I've been to Hawaii for two weeks. I've I've been able to enjoy that level of time off and enjoy the benefits of the hotel industry because of it. And it's been great. Uh, I have not spent as much time overseas in my 30 years as I would have liked because I've always been U.S. centric. But it did. It has given me the opportunity to travel overseas um, with or without my job. Excellent. Well, maybe maybe that's the future goal. See some You're more right. of the world. Yes, more of it. But you know, I've been to, I've been to Japan, Beijing, Shanghai, all for work, and I've been to some of Europe for work, but just not not much. It's all work, no play. Right. So, so you might as well be, you know, anywhere USA. You go in, you see the airport, you see an office, right. you see a hotel, you come, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually I like travel. Oh, yeah, I don't mind travel. I actually enjoy airports. I, I haven't had too many bad experiences, really. So. I love traveling. I feel like it's, to me, that is what I would do with my time 24-7 if I had the luxury of being able to do that. Mm-hmm. So... It looks like so you were working at Hilton and then you went over to Blackstone. So what what was it like going from being at the brands to into kind of a private equity shop? How was that different for you? Uh, it was 180 degrees. So when I was CFO of the Americas for Hilton, Blackstone owned us at the time. And the story goes uh, that the Blackstone folks were reorganizing and Previously, they'd been more geographic based where their asset managers were in charge of any any asset type within a geography. And they started organizing around verticals and they brought someone in for the retail vertical on, on Dre, Dre, Dre sites uh, through an acquisition, actually. And so they brought that retail expert to help asset manage the retail vertical and they found significant significant success in that. And so they were looking for someone on the hotel vertical. They owned Hilton at the time and they knew me and they said, we need to hire someone like Pat Bowles. And the story goes, well, why don't we just hire Pat Bowles? <laughs> and, so, and so at the time, uh, you know, I was interviewing, I wasn't sure I wanted to go work up in New York, you know, private equity, you know, that kind of sweatshop kind of reputation. And I was a little hesitant, but then people said, hey, listen, Pat, you need to get in, get inside that tent. Once you're in the tent, you're good to go. So I gave it a shot. I was certainly the, uh, I was on the older side of things at the time because most of the people on that floor were, you know, right out of college, quite, quite frankly. But I came in as a, as a principal level. Uh, so a little more senior, but I worked with, I got, I really enjoyed working with some incredibly intelligent young, young folks. 
at Blackstone. It was amazing. I'm sure. So when you were there, what what was your role like? Well, I oversaw our hotel investments, and we'll call it our loose assets because Blackstone at the time, like Blackstone would own like Motel 6. They owned the whole company. So that wasn't my responsibility. But when Blackstone would buy the JW Desert Ridge Resort, I would be responsible for that. And so while I was there, probably at a peak, I oversaw $16 billion worth of assets, individual hotel assets that we owned at the time. And through my tenure, probably cycled through $50 billion worth of hotel assets, you know, acquisition, hold it, and then disposition. It was, it was and great. Look, yeah, it sounds, it sounds pretty exciting. And I feel like they're, they're brands that everybody knows. They're, you know, as you said earlier, it's easy to describe to people what you do. Yes. Um, and, then you, and then you moved over to another division of Blackstone, which is BRE Hotels. What, what did that, as the chief operating officer, so what was that? Obviously, it was a promotion, but what was that like? So one of Blackstone's strengths is for each of their verticals, they have what they call an operating company. And so for their residential vertical, they have a company called LiveCore. And it's an operating company that's paid for that and paid for by that investment arm, investment vertical. And it's a company that actually manages the assets within that vertical. And so when I was at Blackstone, we created a vertical when I was still at Blackstone uh, for all our select service hotels we bought. And we bought probably up to 400 of them at one at peak. We probably had 280 at one time. And we created a company for that vertical. And we decided to go ahead and merge in all of full service with select service and create BRE hotels and resorts. BRE stands for Blackstone Real Estate, you know, not very creative. (laughs) And I raised my hand to go be the COO of that vertical because from a career perspective, I knew having a COO title would certainly play well. And I also enjoyed running a company. At Blackstone in the asset management group, or quite frankly, any group, you tend to be more of a mercenary you're not really running a company. And, and this was my opportunity to help run a company. And it it was a great experience. And then COVID happened. (laughs) And then COVID happened. uh, As you know, my husband's in the hotel business too. So I know, I know what that was like. It was not a lot of fun. No, not at all. So, So, and then you moved over to Ambridge. So tell me a little bit about your role now. As CEO of Global Operations, it's really a COO job, to be quite honest with you. And we have a little over 1,500 hotels that we manage around the world. Then that's primarily in the U.S., probably 1,100, and then split between Latin America and Europe are the rest. And we have really three distinct operating areas, U.S., Latin America, and Europe. And on the operations side, you know, I oversee the divisional presidents, but also, you know, functions like rooms, engineering, what we call operational excellence, because that's all the, the GSS people, I guess satisfaction folks that focus on that are with me uh, and all of food and beverage. What, what's interesting is, you know, you look at my resume, there's a lot of financial stuff in my resume. You know, whether I was a, an assistant director of finance at a property level, director of finance or regional finance, all those were really 
deeply operationally oriented roles, all the way through CFO of the Americas for Hilton, that was an operationally focused role. And even at Blackstone, you know, when you own hotel assets, it's really about operations, it's about revenue, it's about profitability. And I think that's one of the strengths that we had because in our vertical at Blackstone and then at BRE Hotels, everyone who worked in that vertical and under my leadership, we came from the hotel industry, but we had the aptitude to exist in the private equity world too. And that, that ability to do both is extremely valuable. <laughs> Yeah, it's played well on my resume, that's for sure. I'm sure. So if you were in college today, and or if, if you knew someone in college today who wanted some advice on how to get to where you are, what would you tell them? Well, I would say that, you know, the hotel industry has certainly changed. It's definitely more of an investment investment grade business. And there's a lot of consolidation going on. But at the end of the day, Having that operational experience has given me significant opportunities beyond just a hotel level. And, and it's amazing. You, it's not like you have to spend half your career in hotels, but having some portion of your career in hotels is a huge benefit, uh, especially when you go you know, to a regional level or real estate side of the business. It, it's, it's just significant because <laughs> at Blackstone, those young ladies and gentlemen that we hired out of college, they were so much smarter than me. So much smarter than, than I was at that point in my life. But what I had on them was experience. I had 20 years of experience and they all came to me in any question regarding the assets, you know, because they just didn't know. They're incredibly smart and they know finance and they know how to do financial modeling and all that but uh, they just didn't know the fundamentals of the hotels. And thank God I, I had that on them. Well, that's a good, you know, it's interesting. There's a book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And whenever I talk to people about yeah. building their careers, I always say, what gets you to be a great analyst, associate, maybe even VP is not necessarily what's going to get you further along. I think what gets you further along is the is the ability to kind of understand, understand it practically. So you definitely you were able to make that leap, which is great. How has the technology changed? I'm sure you've, you've seen a lot of different iterations of technology, both at the property level and at the corporate level. So one of my frustrations in the hotel industry is we tend to be laggards in, in technology, we really do. And I would say at, at its core, the technology within a hotel management company, whether it's a Hilton managed or a third party managed, it hasn't changed significantly. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I shake my head sometimes. All right. So let's just put that in one bucket. What has, what you have seen over the years is from a, from a channel perspective, you've seen OTAs, online travel agencies, you know, Expedia, for instance. That's been a huge game changer from a consumer perspective. Certainly the internet has been a huge game changer from an advertising and channel perspective as far as how you book your room and how your experience with that brand starts way in the book, way, way up in the booking cycle. But once you land on land in a hotel itself, 
you know, other than having Wi-Fi, it's a very human touch business that hasn't really changed much over the years. And, you know, other than having great big flat screen TVs and internet, you know, it's still about having great guest rooms that are modern, well-maintained and clean and having the facilities in the hotel that you can experience, having great food and beverage that you can experience. Because when Lisa, when you go to a hotel, you don't come out saying that was the best techno technological experience I've ever had. Right. Right. It just isn't. Definitely not. Right. You're right. And but it's if really it's the worst. You might say that. <laughs> yeah. And the technology is more tangential to the experience. It's how you book your room, what channel you book it through. You know, now it's everything's app driven. You see that on your phone. You know, you may have the Marriott app or the Hilton app or whoever's right. And, and it's how you're booking your room may have changed. And then when you're at the hotel, you want Wi-Fi, right? And I guess, you know, from a from a COVID perspective, you know, the QR codes are more prevalent now. But even then, we're seeing the menus get set back on the table. And then I think just from a business model perspective, things have changed because labor is so expensive uh, when it comes to the hotel model. You're seeing changes from multiple sit-down restaurants to maybe a single sit-down restaurant and a quick service restaurant or a marketplace. You know, you're starting to see self-checkouts in a marketplace within a hotel, right? So I think labor is the biggest challenge in the hotel industry right now. But from a technology experience standpoint, that may happen way up front, but on property, you know, it's all about having a great pool, a great spa, a great beach. You know, it's about the experience. Without a doubt. Actually, it was interesting. I had somebody on the other day who was, I believe, with Marriott, and he was saying the way you get to pick your seat on an airplane, they're they're working on something like that for your hotel room. So you'll see the whole property and you could actually say, I want to be here. And I thought that yeah. was pretty interesting. Yeah, Hilton already has that. You can choose your room. It's It's fairly rudimentary right now. The ideal, once again, you're talking way up in the booking experience. The booking experience allows you eventually to choose your particular room, whether you want a connecting room or not. You'll see that room on a floor plate, and you may even be able to see what that room actually looks like inside and the view for, for that room. Yes, that's all coming for sure. That sounds amazing. I feel like I'm going to love when that happens. Although you're going to spend yeah. a lot more time planning your trips when that well, happens. Well, you know, if you look at your experience with Netflix, Amazon, Amazon, their their biggest job is to make it so easy for you to spend your money. Right. Right. And so you look how far that has come and you're still trying to, you know, book a room at a hotel in, in a fairly rudimentary way. Right. Um, but they'll get there. You know, that's why I always say, you know, on the hotel side, it's a bit of a lagger when it comes to technology, but you'll see it all. Actually, it's interesting what you just said, make it easy to spend your money if they add on things to the rooms that you could just click and buy. Once you pick your room, it's like, do you want, you know, the, speci specialty towels, specialty pillows, but you know, or whatever it is. I could see people just clicking on that. You'll be clicking off, you know, you know, do you want something in your room when you arrive, 
right? An in-room amenity will put that in your room. Do you want to make your reservation for the spa? You can do that. All that needs to be seamless because right now when you try to book into a, into a resort, you have to go to different places for all this. It's just not seamless yet. And it'll get seamless. It'll get there uh, for sure. And if you're a, a, a rewards member or a frequent stay member on any of these, which many of us are, I'm, I'm a Marriott member and a Hilton member, and I have both their apps, you know, it's going to be, they're focusing on driving your interaction with the hotel and your reservation through that app and making it seamless. And now, you know, we started when we were at Blackstone, we actually introduced it at Marriott, the JW Desert Ridge. The pool was getting overrun. Guests were getting frustrated. You know how you're at a resort, you want to go reserve your, your, your chair at the pool and you get there early and you put your stuff on it. But what we found, people would pay a premium to actually reserve a chair. So we took a set, whole section of the pool and allowed people to make reservation for a cabana or a chair. And we would get $400 a day for a cabana, and that's as much as they were paying for a room. So, you know, the commoditization, or I'm sorry, the, the, being able to price and earn money throughout all aspects of your stay is, is where it's going to go or where it is. Right. And keeping it on property, I'm sure there's a lot of value to that. I recently stayed at yeah. a hotel in New York City. They didn't have any F&B. They just said, use DoorDash. So tell me a little bit, most people listening will know Marriott and Hilton, but explain what Ambridge is and, ha- and the relationship between the, the management and the brands sure. and, and all that fun stuff. Ambridge is a third-party management company, a franchise management company, FMC, they, they refer to this segment of the business. And 90% of all new Marriott and Hilton hotels, let alone IHG and others, are franchises. In fact, Marriott and Hilton manage maybe 20% of their own hotels, maybe. And that number will just keep coming down. So, so in this industry, you have, you depend on third-party management companies to actually manage the hotel. And so many people don't know how this works. You know, people see a Marriott, they assume Marriott owns and manages that hotel. And they don't understand the relationship between the person who owns the real estate in the building, the brand Marriott, and then the management company, Ambridge. You know, it's three-legged stool for 95% of the hotels that are out there. Yeah, people are always surprised by that. You go to a Marriott hotel, you assume it's owned by Marriott, but then you yeah. find out it's it's owned by somebody else, flagged by somebody else. Have you ever spent time reflagging a hotel? Uh, yes, uh, that happens. You know, um, Marriott or Hilton. You know, when their when their contracts are are come due, their franchise agreements end after twenty years or thirty years. It's an opportunity for that hotel owner to say, "Hey, I want a Hilton instead of a Marriott," or vice versa, or "I just want to be independent," or whatever the decision is. And so that building will be reflagged. But these agreements are are so solid that. Until the expiration of the agreement, there's not a lot of reflagging going on unless the owner of that particular hotel has not reinvested. It's a horrible hotel. It needs money. The guest satisfaction is an all-time low. Then the brands have the power to pull the flag themselves, which they do do that too. And then that hotel is 
non-branded and it who, who knows what it could end up being and what's the the benefit of being a part of a brand i mean i could think of a few but i'm just curious what your thoughts are it's their distribution channel it's their members that's really what it is so when you look at marriott and hilton they're about equal when i say this at any hotel at any time 52 percent of those occupied rooms are from a member you know so there are 52 56 percent of those rooms are uh points earning members so when i stay at a hotel i'm earning points you know i make up part of that 56 percent. so do you and just like airline points right we're all we all try to travel on american or delta or whoever so we can earn points and i you know it, most of those seats most of those butts in those seats are airline members earning mileage so that makes sense I, in fact you know i'll give you an example so so when when we took when we lost the flag of marriott no uh, was it marriott or hilton marriott flag at one of our hotels this is a long time ago it's a little foggy but to go from a branded marriott to an unbranded independent hotel we lost 40 points in occupancy really really because people want to use those points they want to get yeah. those points they want those points that's why you see significant consolidation you know you have the big brands and they're expanding into what they call their soft brands or their you know luxury all the way down now into economy extended stay hyatt hilton and marriott are have all introduced economy extended stay brands in the last year smart and then you take a look at what what they're combating with airbnb and that's a whole other story right yeah airbnb's having a little trouble now when i was at blackstone and i first started talking about airbnb i would just get shrugs and our, our, this is this true story uh so 12 years ago when i started blackstone maybe a year after that you start hearing about airbnb and you know who has used an airbnb no one raise their hand the five years later, I would always bring it up. Who's used Airbnb? Everybody raised their hand. And the stats around that is once you experience Airbnb, you're 90% more likely to use it again. Despite, you know, stories you hear about inconsistency or product issues or, or whatnot, people end up enjoying Airbnb. I'm one of those. I've used Airbnb several times on ski trips and never had a bad experience. You know, they've, they've been fine. And what Airbnb has done to the industry is it's taking compression out of out of markets. What I mean by that is during spring break in Orlando, when normally people go down there to go to the Disney or the theme parks, you'd have a compression and you can drive rate. Well, what happens is during that same time period, all these third party owners of homes or, or, or rental properties flood the inventory into Airbnb or similar and that absorbs that that demand into that market and the hotels aren't able to increase their rates like they normally have and that's been significant across the united states and europe for that matter interesting story in in hawaii so through my whole career i've always been to hawaii in hawaii over the last 20 years the visitors have gone from 
4 million visitors a year to 10 million visitors a year. But the number of hotel rooms has stayed about flat. And you're like, oh, where are all those visitors staying? They're all staying at new timeshare, or there's definitely staying at all, you know, third-party accommodations, alternative accommodations, whether it's Airbnb or VRBO. And all of a sudden, Hawaii has a housing issue. Right. Right? Because private equity shops might be buying up the, or just individuals well, buying or properties. It's individuals. It's individuals. Even Hawaiians are buying a second home and renting it out or a third home. Hawaiians are their, Hawaiians are causing their own housing issue. It's interesting. And in New York City, I think something just happened where they, they stopped yeah. a lot. Yeah. New, New York City effectively killed Airbnb uh, because uh, they don't allow overnight stays anymore or if, or if you are going to have an overnight stay, it has to be in an apartment or home where the owner is living. <laughs> so basically you're renting a room to somebody, right? So it's effectively killed Airbnb in New York. And I think you'll see more of that. Right. Probably a very political move between all the different groups. Oh, but it's, oh gosh. It's, 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 all, it's all political. It's none of it's consumer based from a consumer perspective. That's the worst thing that can happen right. you know, because they're limiting competition for a place to stay in New York. Therefore the hotels will benefit because we can raise rates during demand periods again. Uh, but it's hurting the consumer. Right. Right. And I think I also heard that they're not allowing any new hotel construction in New York. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe I misunderstood. I've that. not heard that. That, no. that, that, that would be surprising to me, actually. Okay. So maybe because I because unions would love new hotels. Union would love new hotel workers and housekeepers, and yeah, unions right. would love all that. They don't like Airbnb. Understandable. So we we kind of hit on this a little bit, but tell me what it was like to be Patrick when you found out about COVID professionally. Well, so many unknowns and so little direction. I look back on that experience and I, I shake my head. There was so much overreaction. No, no one would ever just say, hold on, let's just see how this rolls out. And the number of, we, we would laugh at Blackstone with my team because having midnight conference calls got to be normal. <laughs> You know, and it was like, hey, hey, just call me at midnight. Okay, yeah, I'll be up. You know, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and the decision making, it was, it was exhausting. It really was because you're figuring things out as you went. And I remember since I came from the brands, I, I knew the leadership at Marriott and Hilton. And I was always the go-between because I would be talking to Hilton. I'd say, no, no, don't do that. I think you should do it this way. Well, what's Marriott doing? I'll get back to you. Mar you know, I was going back and forth. Because from an industry perspective, we didn't want Hilton to turn left and Marriott to turn right. And that would just, you know, that would be very difficult from an industry perspective that they were doing different things. And I remember at Marriott, they wanted to force all owners to buy that, uh, that aerosol spray machine. I, for, I forget what it was called. But it was made aerosol. To clean yeah, to clean, to spray out the rooms and to spray the meeting rooms and, you know, do all this spraying. And one, that was going to be a capital item. 
which is going to be expensive. And then secondly, well, how does that even work? You know, because what would happen is you'd have to go into a room, spray it, and let it sit there for like, I think, at least 30 minutes before you could let a housekeeper come in and then finish cleaning it. So there was all kinds of logistic issues around that. And they even came out and announced it because the, because the airlines came out with their whole aerosol spray thing. And so Marriott got on that right. Hey, this is what we're going to do. And it was like, oh, no, don't do that. And I was able to convince Marriott not to do that because Hilton wasn't doing it. And that none of the owners wanted to do it because of the expense. And because, well, wait a minute, Hilton's not doing it. So I don't want to do, you know, so I'd have to like calm things down between the two of them. Right. A little follow the leader. Everybody wants to see what that's, everyone that's else is right. doing. That's right. And especially when it came to frequency of cleaning the rooms, you know, um, because we would only clean the rooms upon checkout during a lot of COVID. And then it was, you know, then rates went way up too anyway. And then the guests would say, well, wait a minute, I want my room still cleaned. And, you know, and the housekeepers were still nervous about going into the room while the guest was, there. and it was just, it was a nightmare through it all. It's kind of, it's still hard to believe we all went through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's still hard to believe. So anyway, I'm sure the weather is changing a little bit where you are right now. Are you ready for the hot seat. Oh, I get a hot seat? Sure. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They've also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Absolutely. Get a hot seat. Are you ready? Don't yeah. worry, it's not that hard. Um, so do you have a favorite book or podcast to recommend? You know what? I listen to Joe Rogan a lot. Now, Joe Rogan, I I um I tend to skip all his MMA or comedian podcasts because there are just so many of them. And I tend to hit his podcast when he has like Robert Kennedy Jr. or some really interesting scientist on or or something like that that I really listen to. So I have him from a podcast perspective. And then I have a couple of health podcasts that I listen to because because I'm getting older, you know, and I want to make sure I live forever. So don't we all? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Do, do you listen to the Huberman podcast? The Huberman Lab? You know no. No. It's an interesting one. So he's at Stanford Medical School something and he gives life he gives um advice on how to live well and long. So you have to check well, it out. I'm, Huberman, I'm going to write that down. Check it out. It's a good one. You'll like it. 
So tell me a little bit about one of your favorite things that happened in your career, whether it was a favorite deal that you made or, you know, anything that kind of stands out as special. Well, okay, let me say a couple of things. I, I would say nothing specific other than having worked in hotels and as part of my job as a director of finance, you know, I would, I would go in strip rooms with the housekeepers or I'd do night shifts or I would go and set up banquets with the, and plate and do plate plating with the kitchen. You know, those hands-on experiences were, were great. And it really gave me a foundation of what it's like to be in the trenches. So you know, why I don't necessarily love living in the trenches, but that's where all the action happens. And so those were great experiences for me that benefit me even to this day. And then my experience at Blackstone was tremendous. And I'll give you an analogy. So when I was at Hilton, let's say I could run a seven minute mile faster than most people at Hilton. And if I stayed at Hilton, maybe I'd, I'd improve that over a little bit over time. But if I went to Blackstone, everyone at Blackstone runs four minute miles. I may not get to four minutes, but I'll get a whole lot better than seven minutes. And so when I was at Blackstone, my exposure to the real estate side of the business and just the nomenclature, you know, just the, how people talk, how people look at the asset, you know, from an investor standpoint, that matured me significantly from a, for, from a professional standpoint. So to be able to go through a transaction from beginning to end, like whether it's the Orlando Grand Lakes where you have a, a JW Marriott and a Ritz Carlton combination and you do the due diligence on it with the investment team and then you own it from an asset management perspective, you invest and create significant um, upside investments in that hotel and spend a lot of money on it and then you sell it and make significant money for the limited partners, you know, going through that cycle or going through the cosmopolitan, the single largest real estate profitable transaction for Blackstone in their history. And I was part of that. And I was part of the acquisition team. I was part of the asset management team and I wasn't there when they sold it, but then they sell it and being exposed to that level of competency, and to be in a meeting room with John Gray, he's a guy, you know, you, you know how you meet some incredible smart people in your life? Not that many, but he was one of them. And he had such a way about him. And I, I, I would tell people about Monday mornings at Blackstone when we do the investment committee meetings. It was like a CNBC episode because everyone around the table are the same guys from Blackstone you would actually see on CNBC at points in time. But every Monday, they're talking about world events, impact on politics, which means the impact on investment. How does that impact Blackstone? It was fascinating just to just to be a fly on the wall there. That sounds like something I'd love to experience once. That oh. sounds or multiple times. But ah, I mean, have the smart people in the world just sitting there and yeah. discussing that. Stuff That's exactly right. Yeah. That's. That's amazing. So I'm sure you've done a lot of hiring in your career. What do you look for when you hire someone? 
wow, this is going to sound, you know, how effective can they be? So, you know, you, you can hire people that have a lot of great ideas, right? But if they can't implement them, if they can't get them across the finish line, it really doesn't mean anything, right? And so I, I need to hire people that can be effective. And I also like to hire people that know who can get in the trenches when necessary, who can do real work when necessary. Because, you know, there's there's folks out there who are all about, hey, I have these great ideas. But if they can't get them across the finish line, so I need doers. That, that's what I look for. Someone who can get in the trenches and get dirty when they need to, to pull things across the finish line. That's what I... That's what I really need. And they have to have the right personality because, you know, I mean, just to be blunt, like at Blackstone, they didn't tolerate assholes. They give you the smartest person in the world, but if you're a jerk, you're, you are out of there. So that was an important aspect of Blackstone that I really respected from a culture standpoint, even though it was a complete meritocracy and you better survive or else you, you know, you're out of there kind of thing. But, but at least, you know, they didn't tolerate meanness, right? Jerks. Right. The old fashioned throw a stapler at the person if they don't perform. Uh, yeah. None of that. None of that. Yeah, that's that's a positive. Certainly our culture has changed to yeah. to do that, especially like looking at Gen Z and how they entered the workforce and the work from home that kind of related from COVID. Do you feel like the hotel occupancy has changed a little bit since COVID? Well, everyone talks about, but it certainly has. There's more leisure, less corporate. Even now, a corporate business hasn't come back to 2019 levels. And there's a lot of discussion around whether it ever will. Yeah, I don't think it will. I think it'll be permanently 10% down. Because when you look at even people you and I know in your neighborhood or your friend group, there's a lot of folks that aren't back in the office. I, you know, we don't require people to be in the office. We hire people remotely that we never would have considered hiring before. And so, you know, you know, while there is some travel to the office that helps with room nights, there's a lot more leisure going on. I can't tell you the number of people that report to me that are traveling and working at the same time or on a trip and working at the same time. So, you know, that mix is certainly there. There will always be group business because the need to bring people together will definitely be there. And group volumes are back to where they were. Corporate isn't. And leisure has been strong. Leisure came back way quicker and faster than any other segment. And it's, it's, it's leveled off, but it still exceeds or meets 19 levels. It's just that corporate bit. That's... Yeah, I know. As soon as we were allowed to start traveling again, I think everybody I knew was out in a hotel somewhere. First, it was drive to, then it was fly to, but people just have that need for to be away from their homes and and enjoy their lives a little bit. So that's that's a positive. Um, so last question is: Are there any mentors or people that have really made an impact on your career and how? Great question. You know, I've had. So there, there's a gentleman named Barry Lewin. I'll call him out specifically. He was a Hyatt general manager, rose through the ranks, ended up working, being affiliate, affiliated with Blackstone. And 
he's a guy that is both visionary and inspirational at the same time. And it's amazing what he can get people to do just through personality and his knowledge of once again, the trenches and having been there. Um, he's definitely been an inspiration for me. There have been a few bosses that have been inspirations for me along the way. And I would say John Gray, uh, John Gray, um, Chris Nassetta, I mean, and the guys that are just successful in their own right, and they've all given me the time and spent time with me. And I find them inspirational from a leadership perspective. So, yeah. Yeah, getting to spend time with people who are truly dynamic and have that great leadership of quality about them is it rubs off on any, everyone around them. And to that point, I think everyone listening to this was very lucky to get a chance to hear from you how your career grew and get some tips on getting into the hospitality industry. So thank you very much for joining us, Patrick. Yep. And yep, I hope you have a nice weekend. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.